0: the third place we've we've left the skies of einhander and now we're back come crashing down to the polygonal world of mario you know very in line with the recent uh bad movie that i don't care for but uh i guess this is in conjunction with the movie i don't know but that's not that's not super important but what we're gonna talk about mario 64 because it i think it is a very important game to talk about but before we get to that i want to introduce my special guest for tonight uh someone who i've i would say you know we we have a good uh connection when it comes to games we have shared similar thoughts we both enjoy a lot of the similar things so i want to introduce and welcome cameron everett how are you doing tonight
1: good man i'm really happy to be here thank you for having me
0: <laughs> yeah no please i am i'm grateful that you're on i you and I've been trying to get like an episode squared away for the longest time, I feel like cuz yes. we it was trying to find like the right game to do and when we right. could get this in. Um I I yeah. can't remember the various games we went through. Like I think we talked about maybe doing Metroid Prime at one point. Uh but that's yeah.
1: Yes. Well, you come from like the Sony camp and I'm like the Nintendo fanboy, so we had to kind of find a good meeting place, you know we what have, I
0: mean? So. we had to this is the treaty. This is our uh,
1: this is <laughs> our war,
0: wartime treaty. Exactly. Um but I'm super glad you're here. I'm a big fan also of your music. Um thank you,
1: man. I really appreciate
0: uh, that. I actually was listening to your uh I guess would you call it an EP from 2020 that you put out?
1: It's, I called it an album, but it is for sure like a short album. So, yeah, it's a, it's
0: a wonderful, uh, EP. I, I want to make sure I got the, the name of it right. I, I can't believe I closed out of Apple Music right before we started, but, um, I'm, I'm going to heaven. Uh, yes. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful little album that everyone who, everyone should listen to. I highly recommend it. It's very, it kind of fits the vibes of Mario 64 in a weird way to me. Like oh, wow. it, it has okay. this very tranquil energy that like it kind of mellows me out in a good way. It has like Mac DeMarco also, which I, okay. I I very much respect and enjoy. So um That'd
1: everyone listen
0: to his music. Listen to Cameron's music. Thank you. Um but we move to the first and very important question, which is as with tradition in the show for first time guests is what is your gaming history, Cameron? Where does the story of Gamer
1: Cameron start? <laughs> well, um, man, I've been gaming like as long as I can remember. Um, I think I was probably like three when I started playing Super Nintendo. My brother in the mm-hmm. bedroom next to mine had a Super Nintendo and I would sneak in there and and um, play Mario and I think my family took note of how much <laughs> I was like getting obsessed with it. And my <laughs> uncle ended up giving me my own Super Nintendo for my room. Yeah, And um, my first games were Super Mario World, Super Mario Kart and Star Fox. Oh, and, all classics. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, played those to death. Um, kept up with all the major games on the Super Nintendo and pretty much like anxiously awaited the 64 I don't think since then I've ever wanted anything more like I I think that that period of waiting for the 64 was just like the strongest sense of longing I've ever felt in my life even to this (laughs) this day so um and then that came out and I was obsessed with it for many years that was kind of like at my school everybody had a 64 and so it was like on the playground we would discuss the games ocarina of time and you know all the secrets and stuff and Mm -hmm. um that was like i think if i look back at my life um the 64 was like i identify with that being like my system more than anything but Mm -hmm. um from there you know i we got to like the best generation of consoles ever which is the ps2 gamecube xbox generation that's just undisputed best generation yes exactly i actually bought all of those or i got the gamecube first as a gift and then i ended up buying xbox and ps2 for myself because i just didn't want to miss any of those releases and that's back when i you know g4 was was on tv and so i was just like looking at like all the reviews (laughs) and i had to buy like every (laughs) cool game that came out and so, yeah, that was like the first time where I was like, I had all my bases covered had all the systems. Um, mm-hmm. Man, I mean, just too many to name there. Yeah. And then um, from there, 360 and PS3, both huge to mm-hmm. me, um, probably 360 a little bit more so. But PS3 just had some incredible Banger. exclusives that still are exclusive to the console. Yeah. <laughs>
0: MGS4 still sits in the I wasteland. Know. And that, was, who, that was
1: maybe one of the first games to ever make me cry. Was MGS four? When I think of it, it's it was just it, like it hit me really hard. I was a teenager, and I was like, "Oh my god!" You know? Yeah. It,
0: on its own, it's very powerful. But if you're someone who had put in the time and effort to sit with that franchise for ten years, like yes. it, 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 it's a gut punch. Um, several it gut punches up. in a row. Yeah. um. Certainly. It's interesting that you mentioned that were you did you get the Wii? Uh,
1: I did. I have a story about that. I actually like stood in line for the Wii. So oh. I, I and you know, I've I've listened to the show uh just about every episode, and I've definitely heard some Wii slander from here <laughs> I'm here saying, and there. Listen. So listen so I'm here to say, <laughs> hey, there's some pretty good exclusives yeah. on there. Yeah,
0: I, not I, bad. I I I agree. I mean, there are some really cool things on the Wii. I mean, as I've said before, some of my favorites, obviously, like the No More Heroes franchise, comes from the Wii. Yeah. Like uh, uh, looking at my Wii, Uh, Mad World is one of my favorite Wii games. Another one that I think has not escaped the Wii. Um, Mad World. No, it hasn't. Yeah. Yeah, Mad World. I. Um, Metroid Prime Three. Obviously, uh, I love Galaxy. Honestly, I might like Galaxy a little bit more than sixty-four. Um,
1: that's fair. That's but
0: fair. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Like, I think The Wii is also where the Blob came from, and I kind of just appreciated mm. that game.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, just okay. kind of on like a like a satisfying like monkey, uh, brain yeah. itching thing, where it's just like I like that concept of painting a world yeah just like with you know and they combine it into a platformer and then uh the classic epic mickey i think that started off as
1: a wii game i think i think it did i think it started there yeah Um, i think it eventually came to other consoles but it started there for sure yeah
0: so i listen i i think the wii has some good stuff i think for for me it's like the wii is like because i i like went to my game store last night and it's just seeing the. Heaping piles of shovelware for that system. I'm just like, yeah, Ooh. like, yeah, that's, I that's mean, a- if
1: you put it into like a percentage, the <laughs> amount of good games on the Wii is probably like six percent or something. <laughs> but those games are incredible. So, I also uh, want to say one of my favorite fighting games, Tatsunoko versus Capcom, is on the Wii. So, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that, great game. Great game.
0: The, the I, I've, I, I, there's parts of the Wii that I like. I honestly right at the moment it's my GameCube machine too uh, cuz yeah. it has GameCube support really it's one of Nintendo's best back compat systems because
1: sure yeah
0: not only yeah. does it have just playing GameCube games but they have like the four controller ports and you can use a GameCube memory card on it
1: yeah. so like
0: I, res- I I love my Wii as sort of a as a GameCube machine until I get a GameCube um, I mean, it's
1: the cheapest way to get component uh, video from GameCube games because the component cables for GameCube are like five hundred dollars now. Yeah, because
0: so. everyone wants GameCube still.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah.
0: I speaking of GameCube, my most recent GameCube purchase was a uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles.
1: Oh man, uh, that's a great one.
0: That yeah, that's a that's a good one. You know, the one with the game the Game Boy Advance compatibility. uh it's got the co-op
1: right that's like the famous co-op one
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so i mean i have thrown my slander at nintendo and the wii and i feel like in my in my world as a sony pony i'm justified in saying that um i also think i also think my point of view comes from because you know i think you and i are roughly the same age um being on the internet in 2007 to 2010 that was like the that was the best years for console war uh disputes so it's like uh and listen my my main man in the console wars back at the time was chad warden okay Uh, and chad warden says we the control looks like a dildo
1: (laughs) i remember that one that i remember that video (laughs) okay i mean he's not wrong he's not wrong (laughs) but you know i think my only beef with the wii is i think the philosophy behind it 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 just didn't cater to like the real gamers right i think when you get down to it it's sort of like the philosophy behind it and just letting all these terrible developers make all these chicken shoot games and carnival (laughs) games and you know and it's like they kind of strayed from The classic nintendo mentality i think but it and it's straight away from the
0: gamecube because the gamecube has some really great stuff and
1: yeah and it was a dedicated games machine no dvd player nothing like that you know (laughs) yeah
0: and it was also when nintendo was willing to not fully themselves but they were letting other developers kind of like go more you know they're allowing more mature rated games starting to appear on their systems like you know i think of um i always think of eternal darkness being one of those games on the gamecube that i like highly respect and admire definitely um but also like how even though it was short-lived like the brief resident evil uh Few, the few, yeah, the few Resident Evil games that came out there. um, Even like Metroid Prime also was like a kind of an experiment for Nintendo, even though it wasn't like an M-rated game. It was still like this very dark and ambient ex- first-person shooter. Um, yeah. So I, I always have a big soft spot for Metroid Prime and the GameCube as a whole. Like, I think... I think it just kind of gets forgotten in the grander scheme of things because it was third place in in that generation.
1: True, it did not sell too well.
0: No, too yeah, well. I think it was only like thirty million, or no, not even thirty million. I think it was twenty one million. Meanwhile, yeah. it the Xbox barely beat it, and then the PS two obviously like was, dominated. Yeah, yeah, everything. It was every. It was that every everyone had a PS two.
1: But it's funny, it was in third place, but now it's like probably the most collectible system, especially from that era. Yeah. And people's memories of GameCube just seem to be so much stronger than, Mm -hmm. say, if you had an Xbox original, you know what I mean? I mean, not not to disparage, that console is a great console, but it's funny how the tides kind of turned and GameCube is like what everybody remembers most fondly nowadays. So.
0: Uh, it, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I also I also kind of get that feeling too with the N64 is that even though the N64 sold much less than the PS1 like every everyone who was an N64 user like has like a very deep and personal connection to The games that came out because most everyone who had a game or n64 like pretty much had the same stuff so it's like yes this kind of shared network of memories like all these like mega hit mega hit uh mega nostalgic games 64 obviously included
1: well as a 64 owner back then it's like you got one maybe two games a year or something you know it was like there Mm -hmm. were a few years there where it was like there was maybe two major releases per year for that console so you talk yeah. about everybody played the same games it's we really didn't have a choice it's like you know yeah. I mean it, everybody was playing Star Fox at the same time Zelda at the same time and mm-hmm. you know that could be seen as a bad thing or it could be seen as a good thing in the way that you're painting it is like we just had that shared experience of these mm-hmm. you know specific adventures and games so
0: yeah it It's yeah, it's a unique because that you know, if you talk to a PS1 owner at the time, it's like you know, uh, swimming in the riches of all the unique and interesting things, but then it's like 64 has those specific games that everyone played, and it felt like all 30 million or whatever number of 64 owners were all like, (laughs) like kind of in unison with each other, which isn't true. And then, uh, you know, and meanwhile, Sony your ps1 owners had basically any game that they wanted and then if you were a saturn owner you were insane yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you had like rayman and i don't know a couple others
0: yeah you, if you were a saturn owner you had like rayman uh i think one game was called bugs um okay
1: nights into dreams nights word. into
0: dreams panzer dragoon um I can't remember uh Radiant Silver Gun. I can't remember if that got an American release. Um, but that's another great Saturn game.
1: Um, Uh I think you've named half of them already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm the I only have like a handful of Saturn games, and most of them are just PS1 games. Like Right. I have Wipeout, yeah, Wipeout, I have Tomb Raider Mm One, uh Soviet strike. Yeah, it's just a bunch bunch of like multi part multi platform PS one games that the Saturn got, and they usually yeah. ran worse. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I loved your your history. I think at some point I was gonna have to have like a Nintendo person on because I th- I have my beef with them, but I think <laughs> I think the thing is, and I think anyone whether if you're a hater or a believer, it's like when, when Nintendo does it right, like there's few things that can match them, Um both in terms of just pure game experiences, but also just like cultural moments. I mean, we're in one as we speak right now with the newest Zelda yes. game coming out. Um, yep. I mean, Breath of the Wild literally was like everywhere in 2017 like you couldn't go like you could like i swear you could have talked to anyone who had like everyone had a switch but then also everyone had breath of the wild at the same time
1: yeah Yeah. me included
0: me me included
1: zeitgeist moments and stuff like that yeah i mean Yeah, I waited in line for a Switch uh, because I missed the pre-order. But I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm gonna play Zelda on day one. And I waited, I think it was like ten hours for a Switch. And oh, jeez. Um, I was, yeah, I was first in line. I'm just that guy, I guess. But built different. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm just obsessed with (laughs) Zelda, and I, I played Breath of the Wild for probably like two months without stopping. It feels like at least so. And that's okay. what I plan to do starting tomorrow. <laughs> tears. So I'm glad uh, we're getting this in today because I'm going to crawl into my hole <laughs> tomorrow. So uh,
0: you're going to uh, crawl into your gamer hole.
1: Yeah, come out uh. looking like Gollum. So.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, for quick question before we get into the of discussion, favorite Zelda game? What's which one's your favorite?
1: Um, Ocarina and Majora, the two for the '64, and that okay. may not be a surprise because I'm a '64 fanatic, but I think for me, those two games are two sides to the same coin um, mm-hmm. and playing both of those back to back I think is just one of the greatest single player experiences anybody can have in video games so and there. I like most Zelda games a lot. there's really not many that I don't like very much, but mm-hmm. if I had to pick I would I would go with those two just considering them two sides of one coin so
0: fair enough I mean, yeah, you're right. You can't even 3D Zeldas, you can't really go wrong with. I mean, I think my favorite's it's I, it's some days it's Majora and some days it's even Wind Waker. Um oh, I love Wind Waker. Oh, um gosh. but even then like I can enjoy parts of like Twilight Princess or even Skyward Sword, which I know is currently still kind of maligned, albeit I think people are starting to like change
1: their opinion about it. Um, Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. So mm -hmm. um, if you talk to me, I think it's a great game. It's very flawed, but I think it's a beautiful game. So
0: Uh, I really do. uh, Yeah, I mean, I mean, Skyward Sword is basically what got us to Breath of the Wild. So I think... uh, the, i think skyward sword has its merits on its own but
1: Definitely. I,
0: th- I think if i were if i were to had to pick i mostly would lean majora and wind waker um
1: great picks great not not picks. to
0: say like ocarina or you know the, any of the 2d ones are bad um i love ocarina i love link to the past i love link between worlds mm-hmm. um
1: I, I think well. my favorite 2D is probably Link's Awakening if I had to pick a 2D one. Oh, I yeah. love mm-hmm. that game to death. And I that's the one I can just play through mindlessly and like speedrun it and everything. I've played <laughs> that one so many times, but yeah. But um man, I, I I like them all. There's really not one that I just straight yeah. up don't like. So.
0: <clears throat> yeah, even me as like Mr. Nintendo hater, uh I can't I can never really say one is any one of them is like a bad game like they're all they all have their unique merits and they all they all are trying to go for something and i think most like they all succeed in their goals like there's parts that i can nitpick like i can i can i can i never liked wind waker's triforce quest uh, uh yeah yeah. but nobody did you know i don't think it i don't think it r- ruins wind waker um and i you know i I know everyone maligns the motion controls of Skyward Sword. Uh, You know, fair enough, but I think alone that idea is really cool. Um, It
1: was. And they almost got it right. I mean, it almost works. You know what I mean? mm -hmm. Um, But that game is just, the narrative is so great in that game. And I. (laughs) Grus. I oh, love yeah. Bruce. The character arc there is, is incredible.
0: But yeah, it's one of my favorite Zelda, like the character Zelda iterations. Like, I like that it that spin on her. Yeah. Um, I like uh, Link 2. That's one of my favorite Links. Uh, it's got
1: almost kind of like a 90s Disney movie sort of vibe to it, where it's like, they're in love, and you know what I mean? And yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I definitely mean that in, in an endearing way, but... Mm-hmm but I, yeah I I especially narrative wise I think Skyward Sword knocks it out of the park there are a few things that are obviously just terribly wrong with that game but I yeah, I still I, enjoy it so
0: yeah I any game I can kind of nitpick but you know that's when I put on the objective gamer review glasses but like I can usually forgive issues for the sake of a grander per, like grander goal and usually you know Zelda always kind of nails nails it for me yeah. um yeah but i majora majora and you know wind weaker for me so but i that was a quick little zelda tangent just because tomorrow or i guess you know in in like three hours technically we get you know uh it's it's free to the free to the public to play now well not free but everyone can uh skip work and play it um (laughs) i will not be but um anyways I want to transition into the kind of the first topic and it's kind I kind of alluded to this back in the early back in the beginning of the season and also kind of bits and pieces here through the show um and it's simply the concept of 3D like how important 3D was and is to the medium because I think you know, you and I, Cameron, kind of... I mean, it's not like we weren't exposed to 2D games at all. And specifically, you know, in your case, you, know, you were a Super Nintendo kid. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, especially younger generations, take for granted, like, what it meant to go to 3D. Like, yeah. the rules had essentially had to be rewritten for so many different things. Let Not just in... You know, simple things like how do you control? How does a camera work in 3D? You know, how does, you know, how does a character move in 3D? How do, you know, how do you perceive depth and all this stuff? But I think games had to sort of change their whole deal from like visual language to even heck, I would even say like audio language, because 3D brought the advent in some for a lot of games. almost all games is like voice acting suddenly now is happening in 3d everything had to be kind of changed from the ground up and mario 64 is like kind of that like template game where it's like this game more or less was the perfect example of going to 3d yeah but i wanted to get your sort of take on that concept of going to 3d like and you got to experience it better than me cuz i grew i basically had a ps1 in my house and i was playing 3d games as young as i can remember so yeah. i guess for what i'm trying to get from is like how what do you think of that transition like what it's such a broad question but what do you think of the transition to 3d like what does it make you think of
1: well, I mean, there's, there's all the technical challenges that you mentioned, but I, I feel like. For the devs at the time, which by the way were learning how to make 3D games, it was the same people that were making the 2D games. It's not like they hired 3D developers to come in at Nintendo and make. It was the same guys <laughs> that had just been making the same 2D games, so they had to literally. We're with like a game like Super Mario 64. We're watching them figure it out. You know what I mean? They didn't mm-hmm. know about polygons. They had to yeah. get Argonaut, Argonaut Software people to come in and and even just teach them how how to make a 3d space in the beginning but Mm -hmm. but but you've got the technical challenges but then it's like well how do you preserve the essence of mario how do you take him from 2d to 3d but you preserve what makes a mario game feel like a mario game you know so i think that might have been for them i mean i wasn't there but it (laughs) probably was one of the biggest challenges is you know this is going to be a completely different type of game but how do we make it feel the same in a way you know mm-hmm. um but man i i you know one of my first games was Star Fox, so i guess i was kind of i mean that's pretty early 3d but i was kind of with 3d from the beginning so it always felt like natural to me but i do remember the first time playing super Mario 64 and i was like oh okay like this is this is a whole new thing you know And it's yeah. like mm-hmm. it's like almost like a living cartoon or something yeah i I, it's hard to even describe it but i mean i remember the first time i played super mario 64 for example um which probably was the first time i really played a fully immersive 3d game Is um in minnesota we my oldest niece was born and we drove up there i live in texas so it was you know a day Mm -hmm. and a half drive up there and my brother had just. This was in ninety early ninety seven, I guess, and so he was a pretty early adopter, and he had Super Mario sixty four and Pilot Wings, and literally the whole time we were there, I wasn't paying attention to anything else. I was just playing that in sixty four. But no, I mean, it was mind blowing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's just it's a whole different thing, man. I mean, when you're used to two dimensions, and it's it's. The rules of the game have to change completely. You know what I mean. But, mm-hmm. but like I said, how do you, how do you preserve the essence, the spirit of these games when you're taking a franchise that's so well established, and adding a whole new dimension to it? Uh, mm-hmm. how, how does it? How do you even connect the thread there? So, I think the fact that they Nintendo was able to do that with some of their biggest franchises was huge back then. So, yeah,
0: it's people really don't realize how it was so difficult back then because you know we 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 can look back in hindsight you know with at this point now what is it almost 30 years of 3 dimensions and 3D being the de facto uh, dimension nowadays you know we take for granted we underestimate like how much has to go into not only just simply making a 3D space but also controlling the 3D space like yeah you know the the common internet joke for the longest time and it's still pers- it still persists to this day is like oh Sonic made a horrible transition to 3D and I disagree to an extent I still think he made a good transition but the point the point being is like a lot of people look at like Sonic Adventure and say that was a bad transition to 3D. Or, you know, people, you know, suddenly simple ideas of going left and right are thrown out of the thrown out of the out of the book. Now it's suddenly, how do we tell you to go from place to place? How do we uh, encourage you to do something that, you know, if you were playing, it, it's like, well, well I want to go over there instead you know what if i want to do this like yes so many so many different things had to be considered and i don't think people understand this you know where you know the concept of controlling a camera in 3d or controlling a character in 3d is just kind of like second nature to us but like if you had imagine being someone in the early mid 90s making a game it's just like well how do like how do we convey all this imagery and information to you? I mean, like you could look at something like crash bandicoot and it's like crash bandicoot's more or less just like a 2d game, but now you're viewing it from behind the character, which, you know, naughty dog devs famously called crash bandicoot, Sonic's ass game, because it's (laughs) like pointing the camera at Sonic's ass. And, you know, that's an example of how, you know, you had to get around 3D. And another simple thing is, like, uh, like it, just as an example from Mario, it's like Mario now has, like, that shadow underneath him to recognize where he is in the air. It's like, even the concept of jumping is now, like, you have to relay that information to a player. Like, okay, like, this shadow tells the player where he is now. Like, that's such a, like, simple idea, but and we would never see that almost 99.9% of the time but it's like oh yeah that makes obvious sense like that you know it it so i cuz imagining just kind of the hell that it was back in the day trying to like navigate this very very new and exciting and scary dimension uh i can't imagine what it'd been like it reminds me of how like just as a joke, it's like the one Simpsons episode where Homer goes into three dimensions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it kind of like uh, th- looking back on it, it kind of gives me that energy where it's like, Oh shit. Like now, uh, everything we knew as our sort of framework and, uh, guiding light is now completely gone. Like, yeah,
1: yeah certainly
0: and some franchises didn't make the jump to 3d well and some genres had to struggle with like how do we you know how does three dimensions change how we play our games i mean you know fighting games for an example had to go through you know what works for us two dimensions or three dimensions like so you saw things like uh power stone uh come out yeah. of this transition or simple you know virtual fighter and tekken just kind of translating uh 2d gameplay but it's like now it's a 3d plane and all this stuff and i don't i do not envy being game developers at this time
1: no (laughs) i mean it was the wild west basically you know i mean it was nobody knew what the hell they were doing at all you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. no but it makes it all the more impressive i mean coming from the mouth of a nintendo fanboy but it's like (laughs) nintendo with mario and zelda they knocked it out of the park of their first try you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and it's insane to me and i mean they're not the only ones but but like you said even the things with like the shadow under mario and i mean they they really must have sat down and thought about put a lot of thought into you know how is this going to make sense with this extra dimension and how are we not going to just completely scare everybody off? You know what I mean? Um, Cause I remember struggling the first time I played Mario 64 cause you know, just the simple platforming was so much more difficult, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, It's, it's just, or even just jumping on a Goomba or whatever, it's just, it, it was a lot harder. So, mm-hmm. but they made it inviting and, and um, they kind of stewarded you, into the new dimension in a in a friendly way. And I think yeah. Nintendo really kick started, you know, I mean the 3D platform and the 3D action game with, with Ocarina and Super Mario 64, because they, they got it right and they laid a blueprint down mm-hmm. for a lot of these devs that were like uh what the hell are we doing? You know <laughs> yeah. Uh, but,
0: but yeah it another thing too that goes under appreciated is also adapting a visual language into 3d like take for example mario because mario is a great sort of example to do this it's like you look at 2d and it almost like instinctually makes sense as a two-dimensional product like it feels very cartoonish you know cartoons exist in like a a two-dimensional space so like all the sort of eccentric mario isms and mario characters and enemies and items all make sense in 2d but it's like now we have to make them all through three-dimensional and this period of games i think and i'll i'll bring this up in the proper 64 talking period but it's like you you look back on a lot of these games you know especially with technology having progressed so fast so quickly you look at these archaic experience these archaic 3d games and it's like they're beautiful in their simplicity like there isn't much in the way of like trying to wow and flash you in terms of like oh we got polygons on polygons we got textures and shaders it's like Nine times out of ten, it's, like, flat textures, like, that are blurry enough, but they convey what they are to you as, like, a person experiencing it for the first time. Like, I think of the, is it the Scuttlebug enemies in 64? It's, like, they look like they're bowling balls with eyes mm. and legs, but, like, mm-hmm. that's all in, like, the the texture that's on them. It's, like, that orange and red, like kind of jawbreaker bowling ball look, Mm -hmm. but that's all you need to sort of, like, convey that that's an enemy, that's, like, a spider enemy. Or I think of, like, all these, like, weird, like, I think, you know, I think back at this period of game is, like, also, like, skyboxes, like, these Mm -hmm. ginormous, literally, in these case, like, just JPEGs kind of indicating like a not really a place, but kind of a, a a place to be transported to. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not like this is an accurate rendition of cloud technology, like clouds. Like I think of like, again, the mortal enemy of my show horizon for uh, the horizon franchise, where it's like, (laughs) we we've rendered out these clouds and they're 3d and you can interact with them. It's like, that's cool and all, but like I think of all these like beautiful skybox textures in these early 3D games and it helps convey an atmosphere better than having the most terafucks for per gig of shit in your system. <laughs> yeah. Like
1: yeah, certainly. No, I mean it's almost like um these environments in these early games, especially ps1 and 64 it's like a like a distilled approximation of reality you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. it's almost something that you would like dream about in a way Mm -hmm. um they're very idyllic and ethereal it's almost like you hear about like liminal spaces it's kind of like that but like in a good way i would say
0: yeah this the 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 concept of liminal spaces definitely comes out of you know i think this period of like three 3D technology, you know, you think of like the early Pixar movies and even those where they're not like games per se, they're still like not one-to-one recreations of real people or they have like accurate, you know, accurate hair and cloth and all this stuff. It's still very Play-Doh plastic look to everything. Yeah. And I feel like yeah, I always kind of reference uh J. David Osborne, uh one of the hosts of Agitator, I always reference his book, uh You Pray for Dry Weather at the Side of the Sun. Uh great book. Everyone should read it by the way. Um where he I for the life of me, I wish I could remember the exact person that he was quoting, but it's like talking about the artifice. And it's like when you add when you add details to the artifice, it the magic starts to like fade away where it's like now we have more information kind of taking us out of the experience um and you can you can you can apply that to like how games more and more as they add more and more visual flares and technology and all that as they get closer and closer to representing real life quote unquote it's as if the magic of three dimension is lost in the process i mean. Speaking from the N64 specifically, like you can look at something like GoldenEye. It's like that AK47 you hold does not look like an AK by any means. It looks like a tube uh, with a (laughs) with a wood panel texture. However, it's still it like even today, like it still feels like that's how it should be. Like these very rudimentary levels still feel like. Oh, yeah, I feel like James Bond infiltrating these, you know, these bases and all these locations or, you know, again, like Ocarina or Majora, like these, again, very simple. And in some cases, like literal 3D uh, pre-rendered backgrounds for some locations, like in uh, the villages. Mm hmm. It's not like a one to one recreation of like a real place, but at the same time, it feels like a lived in place. It feels more like special to experience that, and I think that's something that goes underappreciated when we talk about the third dimension. Is like we, as we've as we progressed in the timeline of games, there's a sort of like beautiful simplicity is being lost in the process i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: yeah Uh, i think they you know it's like they were doing more with less and i think the the limitations that they were under were really such a blessing in a way and i think a lot of creative people might tell you that is when you work under limitations it forces you to be more creative and i think a lot of times you get better results in the process when you have no technical limits it's like Mm -hmm. i don't know the 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 charm can be lost especially in the realm of gaming it's like i think we're getting to a place where it's hard to find real charm in games anymore and Mm -hmm. there was such an enticing um just strange quality about these early 3d games that we're never really gonna get back because technology has come too far and then the limits aren't there anymore and i think like i said i think they really were like a blessing in disguise so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah like and i'm not here to like poo poo modern games for their sort of visual showcases because like you know i could look at something like the resident evil 4 remake and be like wow ashley is real sort of thing and i can appreciate that Yeah, and that's immersive
1: too, but just in a different way. I would say.
0: Yeah, it's this is like two sides of the coin. I guess it's like we have we have nowadays like the realistic interpretations of like people and places and all that, and that is an immersive thing that games can provide, and I think do better than most is like it really puts you. They can put you into a place better than most mediums could ever do just simply by, you know, the, the combination of interaction and technology, like technology, visual technology. But, you know, I say this like, cause I have a Mario 64 playthrough on my second monitor. It's like, I'm looking at the the players at like one of the Bowser levels. And those Bowser levels are like simple geometric shapes representing a platform like a void like just this like void location where it's just like looks like green stalactites are just everywhere when in reality it's just like a blurry skybox and yet like i feel so put in that location even though like yeah it's it's something only that like even like the PS2 era, like the PS2 GameCube and Xbox, even as they added more, uh, even though graphics took a massive leap, then there was still like room for the mind to kind of fill in the fill in the blanks. Yes. Like, um, yeah. Like, because it's just right on my mind right now. It's like SMT Nocturne is these sort of like hellscape dungeons that are just devoid of life. And they're just repeating like textures upon textures. And it still feels like it still conveys that feeling of nothingness and loneliness, even though it's not like 4k 10th teraflop technology, you know, it doesn't need that to convey what it's trying to get across sort of thing. Um, Yeah. and,
1: And maybe it's the case that the more, your mind has to fill in these blanks, maybe the more memorable the experience is in a way. Yeah. You know? I mean,
0: the, the common thing people will say nowadays is like when they see like games from the late nineties, uh, from the PS one and, and 64, it's like when they see, like, let's say they see a remake of it. Like take, for example, when resident evil two got remade, like, A lot of people who played it back in the day was like oh wow that what's that's what it looked like in my mind back in the 90s like this is how it looked like in my mind like you know Mm -hmm. the, the mind takes you the 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 imagination of your mind to like add detail where it's not kind of is like the power of first generation 3d the fifth generation of consoles um cuz like you know i look i look at something like gran turismo it's like yeah that's not a real car but it's close <laughs> enough where mm-hmm. i'm like yeah that's that's a nissan gtr skyline or whatever even though it's not a 1 to 1 recreation of a G- nissan car like gt7 could do and accomplish
1: right
0: um but there there's something really magical about this period in time like i i have such fond memories of the games that i've played not only when i was a kid but even as i've like played you know games in my spare time it's like this period felt so magical in a way that i don't know if the industry will ever recapture you know if it doesn't then so be it But I can't tell you just how, like, unique of an experience it is to, like, boot up one of these older 3D games and just, like, go to town. Like, you know, I mentioned last week with Einhander. It's like Einhander feels so magical to play, even though it's like a 2.5D shmup game. The fact that it's like now this like established 2d genre is in 3d is like all i need because it will just fuel my mind and fuel my imagination yeah um but yeah <laughs> i love early 3d games because like there's so many unique just like unique places we can go like i think i was like randomly thinking today of this like i think it was a european only ps1 game it's i've mentioned it before it's called like cool world where it's just a puzzle game uh where it just is like this sort of uh beach ball rolling around on these three-dimensional puzzle pieces to get from point a to point b if i remember correctly and you're just floating in a void of like various jpegs and that is still like wow like my mind is going a million miles per hour sort of thing
1: yeah no um, it's, it's like dreamlike really like a lot of these games it's just like due to the limitations it's literally it's something out of like someone's subconscious you know what i mean so yeah so.
0: exactly but i think unless you have any closing thoughts on this topic i think i think this is time to just get into 64 honestly like but- I think there's let's a lot to I think there's a lot to talk about with 64 and I didn't want to like uh shoot my shot too early on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. yeah,
0: let's do it. But other yeah, so I think it's better what better time to transition into the classic Super Mario 64. like I got check check the the search tab on Twitter so like I go Tekken 8 trending. Oh god, did they drop a new character? Uh no. No, no they didn't. Okay. But someone proposed a really funny thing. Um it's like imagine if Tekken 8 does like crossover characters again with Final Fantasy and like everyone wants <laughs> T- everyone wants Tifa cuz everyone oh, wants god. Tifa to be in there. I would love if Tifa got in. But then someone's like, but imagine if they brought Jack from Final Fantasy, uh, the that recent spinoff, uh, oh, okay. Strange Stranger of Paradise. <laughs> like yeah. that, honestly, that was really funny. And I actually kind of, I kind
1: of hope that that happens. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I don't uh, know if enough people bought that game. Would Would anyone even care that that guy was in there? I think,
0: I think a lot of people would be, because I think everyone wants amused. to yeah, everyone would be think it would be funny.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I I think Tifa would be a great fit for Tekken, just because. Oh you know, yeah, absolutely. She's, she's punch girl. Exactly. But I could totally see Namco and Harada just being like, uh, "No, yeah. <laughs>
1: we're
0: gonna we're gonna spit in the face of our fans," uh, and have just this random spinoff guy who just says, "I am gonna kill chaos." <laughs> uh man, I really want Tekken 8. I really want Tekken 8.
1: Yeah, but it's gonna be pretty good.
0: Yeah, I all the trailers have been great. I need to see Huarang desperately. Mm. Uh, he's another like legacy character of that franchise that needs who who's been in every game since he'd been introduced, but it's like I need to see him again. Gotta get I need the confirmation. Yeah, exactly. I, I I like every game that has like a roster. It's like you always fear for like that, like a cer- a a certain amount of. Uh... Oh hey, an amber alert for my phone.
1: Uh oh,
0: I, <laughs> I was like, why is my desk vibrating violently? It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like oh, it's an amber alert. Uh, oh, loud. oh yeah, no, I had one. This is all staying in, by the way. If I don't think you care, right? Um no, not at all. But I had an Amber alert that woke me up at 7:30 in the morning. It's like, oh yeah, there's a tornado warning. What? Yeah. <laughs> down like...
1: here we we don't even blink about tornadoes down here. The other day we had a the sirens were going off downtown where I lived, which means a tornado is like touched down. And yeah. I like looked out the window and they're like walking down the street casually, like eh. <laughs> It's just like nothing to us at this point. And it's funny because the city I live in famously was like hit by a major tornado tornado in like the fifties and like destroyed the whole city and people just don't even care. So we're conditioned at this point so
0: here in North Carolina, tornadoes are still kind of a not normal occurrence. So it's just like, sure. I mean, we don't even have sirens here or at least none that I've heard. Okay. Um, but when I grew up in Ohio, we had tornado sirens, um, Yeah, because tornadoes were kind of a threat in Ohio. Yep. Uh, but enough of tornadoes. Let's talk about let's talk about Bing Bing Wahoo, man. Uh, let's do it. (laughs) I always want to call him that. I hate (laughs) it. I mean, what else to what you know? He's he's the man, he's the man who could do anything. But so, yeah, Super Mario 64 came out. Uh, in North America, on September 29th, 1996, is an N64 exclusive. Uh, it was one of the launch games for the N64. And to say that everyone has put their two cents into this game, I think is an understatement. It is lauded it is pointed to it is praised as sort of like you were saying cameron earlier in the episode as being the blueprint for how to control a character in three dimensions and i think i think it's true i mean this game you know it was still early 3d and other game companies were still trying to wrap their head around it i mean you had stuff like tomb raider uh doing their take on it or he had other games kind of try to do the like isometric view but it's like here comes mario and he comp- you know he writes the book so to say on how to control a character in 3d um i remember my first exposure to this was not the original version it was the ds port i don't know if you've ever played the mm. ds port I have, I have um i granted I don't think it's the perfect way to play 64. You need that analog stick to really understand.
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: But I eventually got around to playing it actually because of the Wii virtual console Um, that was on there. And I, for the longest time I was like, what's so special about this? Cause I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I've played 3d platformers. I had played, I had played super Mario galaxy. I was like, what could be so special about 64? And then I played it and I'm like, okay, I understand now. Like it it was like the light bulb moment. So I want to ask you, you you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but what is your opinions on Super Mario 64?
1: I think it's one of the greatest games ever made. I, I think that we would certainly not be where we are in this industry right now without it. Mm -hmm. And I think it basically reached out and touched a generation of developers, multiple generations. And it sort of just molded the concept of what a 3D game should be and could be. Um, And it's just one of those games. There's a handful of them that are just like the backbone of of the timeline of gaming. I mean, it's just, we just certainly wouldn't be where we are without it, you know, Mm -hmm. and And I think we back in the day, you know, we played it, we loved it. But even back then, we just we didn't realize what a big deal it was. It took it took a while to be like, wait, pretty much every game traces its lineage back to this one in a way. You know what I mean? So,
0: yeah, it's definitely like one of those. uh, It's like the it's the DNA base for everything that we know and understand when it comes to not just like a platform game but just like how like a three-dimensional character like controlling a character in three dimensions i mean the game has it's such a simple introduction i mean it literally is it's just like hey, Mario appears out of a pipe, he's in the castle, and I like how the game contextualizes the camera, like, the gameplay camera as a... A character. Yeah, as a character following you with a camera. Like, it's such a simple little thing, but it it really does kind of get... it, It kind of touches upon what I was alluding to earlier, and it's like settling it... Even with something so rudimentary and basic, like even nintendo was thinking about how do we get you immersed in this world in this location like yes they think about oh hey the camera is actually controlled by a character in the world like like it's such a simple idea but it it just eases you it's like the perfectly eases you into this new dimension you know mario to me has always been a great guide into whatever is going like whatever sort of concept Nintendo wants to game at like with the original super mario brothers they mario eases you into the concept of a 2d just a simple 2d game it writes all the rules and sort of ideas that we know and think about when it comes to two dimensional platforming game two dimensional character game whatever you want to call it and they do the same thing with 64, where it's like Mario is our vessel into this sort of new and terrifying concept of three dimensions. And it feels so like, it's kind of that thing where it's like, oh, of course, certainly. Sort of it's like, oh, of course, like this is how things work. Oh, th- this is how the rules and logic are applied. But it's like, you have to understand, like this was unknown ground at the time you know like 94 95 this was still like the wild west so if when you play 64 it's just like nintendo had been making 3d games for like 10 years before somehow it's like they they already knew how to do it um yeah it's it's something it's a really magical thing to like boot this game up for the first time and just like kind of like go wherever your heart content so to say i mean there are sort of like level limitations of where you can go basically getting the amount of power stars you have but you know you can just fully explore the castle at your sort of leisure it's not so much like i'm going left to right anymore it's more how do i get from point how do i get from where i am to where i need to go like what is the optimal path what is the most, uh, what is, how do I get there? Like your mind kind of expands in such a simple little playground.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not just about running right and jumping on a flagpole anymore. You know, it's with this new dimension, it's like, well, now we're going to put the focus on exploring and sort of uh, exploring the environment and figuring out exactly what you're supposed to do. I mean, we're going to give you a vague hint with the title of the star that you're supposed to get, but you've got to run around and literally figure out what to do. It's not just like go right and jump on. There are no flagpoles. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's you've got to play around with the 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 tools they give you and the the level they give you and figure out what to do. And so it encourages that. Exploration and curiosity in a way.
0: Yeah. And this this was the birth, I think, of the term collectathon, like the collectathon genre. You yeah. think of something like Banjo and Kazoie was another great collectathon of that time. And even in the sort of context of Mario himself, like there was a sort of split between the genre that he was in. It's like Traditional platformer or collectathon. You know, sixty-four and Sunshine were viewed as like the two collectathon games, mm-hmm. uh, and Odyssey most recently is one of those collectathon games where it's it's not so much about completing levels; it's more about like how do I navigate a level in multiple different ways? How do I engage with the level in multiple different ways? How do I find the secrets? I mean, 64 is a great example of this time frame in games where it's like suddenly there's a mystique and magic to like, well, here, did you know you could find this? Or did you know you could do that to get from here to there faster? Like, I mean, fuck, just look at all the the speed running community for this game. I mean... Truly unfiltered, oh, uh, unfiltered autism at its greatest
1: strength. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, and that's all. I mean, you think about the move set in this game, just the sheer amount of um, maneuverability that Mario has that has allowed these really skilled players to basically break it and um, exploit how versatile Mario is and and just beat levels in five seconds. You know what I mean? <laughs> And and it's it's crazy. And I mean, you know, when they were making this game, I think that was the first thing they tried to nail down was was Mario's got to feel good, and he's got to have like a extensive move set that allows you to interact with these levels in very unique ways. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, if it's if we're gonna introduce verticality, if we're gonna introduce this fully immersive three D environment we don't want to just like run around, you know, Mario's got to have all these different tools at his disposal that unlock all these interesting ways to sort of mess with the level, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and I think about, um, backing up a little bit before you even get to the castle, you basically start out in the courtyard or whatever of the castle and there's no enemies or, um, no distractions. It's basically just a playground for you to sort of like mess around with, um, mario's jumps and his abilities and stuff and and sort of an environment where nothing's going to bother you and that that way by the time you get into the castle you've got kind of a familiar um, way about you so and i think they did that intentionally because it's like well people aren't going to know what the hell they're doing when they boot this up we don't want to just drop them in a level you know yeah
0: it's yeah it's that ease you in like you have somewhere safe to navigate and it, it all yeah, it was the first safe space. Yeah. Um but and on the kind of connected to that sort of place to experiment and get accustomed to this new frontier, it encapsulates something that we were getting upon. It's like it now you are in a place. You're not like going from left to right, completing a level, get to the flagpole, complete, you know suddenly what we know as how a game should function and operate suddenly has changed like and now like we can interact and explore at our heart's content like now we have playgrounds you know in a sense to really just peek and look over every little like nook and cranny or uh, find all the secrets or you know like suddenly it's now not just about you know game design 101 now we're in a place where we are to really get ourselves immersed in a in a in an in in ex, in experience like ex, immersion is such a prescient word in games like everyone talks about immersion like this game was so immersive and a lot of the times they say like so oh, it's the graphics the sound you know the the lighting or whatever it might be like the story or whatever but i would argue 64 mario 64 and you could even say a lot of these early 3d games so mario 64 is such a great great like foundational building block of this idea where it's like now I when I enter a level it's not just about doing my uh my genetic gamer instincts of beat the level it's now like I want to explore the level I want to talk with you know characters like there's NPCs now granted what they say is very simple and not very detailed but now it's like oh hey like i can actually talk to characters i can run around i can you know approach situations in different ways i can defeat enemies in new ways it suddenly is like it feels it feels like you're in you've graduate from the pool and now you're in the ocean and nintendo is just like here you figure out how to do it like it, and not in a very like dismissive or like uh, dismissive way. It's kind of like, hey, you figure it out. See where, see what you can come up with. Yeah. And I love that so much, and the fact that this was established so early on. You know, as three D is still trying to get its feet off the ground, the Nintendo is just like, yeah, this is how you do it. You can copy us from from the rest
1: for the rest of time. <laughs> yeah yeah you can copy our homework yeah and i mean this was um a shift in the way of like unique player experience Mm -hmm. um because if you think about it uh you boot into a level one person's gonna play and they're gonna run to the right then the next person might run to the left you know so it's like you've gotta create a game that's engaging no matter what everybody's gonna play a different way gonna go a different route and it's, it's, it's got to remain engaging in that way. And mm-hmm. and not everybody's running to the right and jumping on the first Goomba and grabbing the mushroom. It's, it's really just, uh, everybody's going to run a different direction and it's, it's got to be engaging no matter what for everybody, but then everybody can meet on the playground or whatever and say, well, I went over here and did this and you went and did this. And um, it created um, just kind of a rapport about the game that, you know, it's, Everybody had a slightly different experience, you know, and that was kind of the magic of it. So Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, it's that's another you know, that's a thing about with games do jumping into this new and unknown territory. It's like suddenly the, the the constraints of just an X and a Y plane have you know, since they are now gone you have to imagine as a game developer, it's just like that's terrifying to say like the player can do whatever they want. They don't have to engage with this sort of thought out process you have. If like I have like, let's say I have like a cone in front of me in terms of like how I can get out of the starting point. And it's like, Oh, here's this meticulous line of how I want you to experience it. Well, it's like me as a player, I can just skip all of it. Yeah. Like, that must have been terrifying, but Nintendo, you know, Miyamoto, you know, genius Shigeru Miyamoto, who I think is not your first uh, thought when it comes to auteur, but I think he definitely has a vision and I think he definitely should be considered an auteur, not in the sense of someone like Kojima, but you know, when you're playing a Miyamoto game, I think what's so great about this is that he, he is okay with you not like engaging with the game in a traditional sense, like hence why I mean, granted, you can't do all the sort of eight missions a level offers you right from the get go. I mean, you can, you can, and you know, but as the game doesn't like say like, hey, here's eight missions, figure it out. It's just like here's the first star mission, here's the second one, blah blah blah. What I love is that he was confident enough to allow a gamer to experience and discover it and allow for them to express how they want to interact with it all as they see fit and yes. not be not be afraid of you know not being afraid of player expression like it's you know it's simple to to say that it's like oh mario can jump kick and flip and slide like that's pretty much all he can do But he's just like, here's a bunch of different moves that he can do. And I want to see how you can use this little toolbox in the sandbox. And I want to see how your sort of imagination gets you from, uh, how does it get you from bomb on battlefield from the bottom to the top? Or how does it let you discover the cannon that can like send you across those various, uh, rings of coins in the sky to get you know discover about the red ring stars the red you know the, not the red, uh, red coin star like yeah he is perfectly okay and in, in fact encouraging you to just play the game as you want it it's it's so cool even today when we have like you know let's you know look at zelda where it's like all this sort of interactive tools and stuff and it's like you can trace back like something like breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom in terms of how they let you interact and and explore this ginormous world and it all goes back to 64
1: like yeah, 64
0: was, as simple as it is you know it's the it's the backbone
1: i was going to make that exact connection man i i think that <laughs> that that um that philosophy is just integral to the way Nintendo makes games. And I think that Tears of the Kingdom coming out tomorrow at the time of recording is like almost the culmination. I mean, the game is literally about building your own way to, you know, finish the game. And, and, and I, you could trace the through line perfectly back to these early 3d games, especially a game like super Mario 64, where, they're like, okay, this game, this game isn't, isn't goal oriented. It's about freedom and it's about player expression. And I think that that philosophy must have really resonated with them because it's literally something that they still, um, put a lot of weight into today. I mean, I think it's, it really is like the soul of a lot of their games and it, it's like, it's like, they don't want to hand you an experience. They want to hand you the tools to create your own experience, yes. you know? Exactly, and I think that is what sets them apart in so many words. So, yeah. but no, this game is the <coughs> prototype for for that philosophy, hundred percent. So, yeah, so. it's
0: Nintendo. As much as I will badmouth them on the show, as you know, <laughs> as you know, I do. But I said, when they do it right, when they when 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 the stars align at nintendo whatever their development uh headquarters is like when 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 the stars align for them there are few if any game companies can match the sort of just brilliance that they're able to sort of get out of something so simple like every location in this game is like a even though they're relatively simplistic levels with basic geometry with you know in comparison to something of modern day very small worlds very small levels and yet each level feels like a place a location that is meant to that invites and encourage exploration and discovery like Bob on Battlefield, to Womps Fortress, to Hazy Maze Cave, to Dire Dire Docks, to Cool Cool Mountain, you know, Shifting Sand Land, like, the game is asking, it presents just a, like, uh, it's like kind of like the mound of clay that you're supposed to shape into whatever you sort of, like, uh, vase or piece of, like, decorative, uh, whatever uh, pottery you wanted to make in. yeah like even yeah. even with something so simple like nintendo is saying it's not about what we want you to experience it's about what can you craft in or what you can make out of all of this like what sort of memories and experiences that you can pull out of each level like I have a a level list right in front of me on my monitor. and it's like, and it has like a sort of zoomed out screenshot of each level. It's like you look at like something like Rainbow Ride, which is like the most abstract, like liminal space level that you could probably think of, where it's this like mm. series of platforms in the sky in the bright blue sky. And you know, to them, It's not so much about, like, hey, this is a real place. No, this is, like, a place to live in, a place to discover, a place to imagine. Like, it, it calls upon such, like, a instinctual truth about, like, the magic of gaming, where it's about, this is a piece of ones and zeros creating something that feels real even if it is cartoonish in nature you know simple on the surface like it feels like such a beautiful creation like all of these levels feel like just like just like screensavers on a on a desk a window an off white windows desktop and i you're running windows 98 and you're getting kind of entranced by the concept of like this is technology and it can't get better than this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly like a lot of thought put into it where it's like, it's a place you want to spend time in. And with the nature of the design of this game, you are going to be spending considerable time in each of these levels and they're very inviting in their own unique way. And um, it's not, even in its most stressful moments, it's really a warm kind of feeling to this mm-hmm. game. You know what I mean? So it, it's
0: very easy, you know, because Nintendo's MO has always been, you know, younger audiences, families sort of thing. And I know it's easy to sort of take pot shots at that because it's like, you know, we want Nintendo to like do something different. But what I think is when you you have to look at it and it's like, and maybe sixty four and the N sixty four era is kind of like a unique case where it's just like it feeds off nostalgia very easily and very, um, yeah, just feeds off your nostalgic instincts very easily when things were simpler, things were more inviting, things were more expansive and extreme, uh, um, um, amazing to be a part of, like nintendo even nintendo is able to sort of get you to feel things you know something that you know to the average player they may not be able to like uh piece together at first but letting the games kind of marinate in your subconscious for years and years and years as time goes by Mario 64 becomes like even more it, co- it becomes like for me at least i don't know about you but if for me 64 sort of becomes like a game that sits within your dreams like you feel like like it feels like you navigating a dreamscape where it's not you know it has all the Mario visual iconography where it's just like yeah like that's a mario level but like all these sort of abstract pieces and bits and bobs coming together to replicate or uh approximate something like it feels very sitting in your like dreams sort of thing i I guess i'm hopefully that makes sense totally
1: no yeah and if this might be a good time to mention the music plays a big part in that as well Oh yeah koji kondo yeah i mean uh, talking about the the focus of this game shifting from being a goal-oriented to exploratory kind of thing, the music sort of in a lot of places slows down in this game. I think of a track like uh, Dire Dire Docks. yeah, And it's, oh. it's... it's I mean, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of video game. It's almost a meme at this point, you know, but... Yeah, it, it's uh, earned it's, like, its meme status. Certainly, but it's like... It, it it's almost asking you to, Hey, slow down and take your time and explore. It's not rushing you to a finish line. It's saying, chill out, relax and just look around and have a good time. You know what I mean? So it's crazy how music can have that effect and sort of convey that, that subtext in that way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's,
0: it's those slow moments. Like, you know, Mario has its sort of upbeat rhythms and sort of themes that we can all like literally that feel like part of our genetic code. What's like we can we know what Bomb on Battlefield's theme is like. You know, it's just in our minds, or uh Womp's Fortress or Jolly Roger Bay, like I feel like those are all songs like any person who plays games has heard in their lot time, but and they all have like those upbeat melodies that we associate with Mario. But I love the fact that they are willing to kind of let you sit back and embrace the ambiance, embrace the sort of place that you're in. I mean, like you said, Dire Dire Docks. Like, granted, it's a a water level, and I know the meme is to hate a water level. Um, (laughs) Not like Mario does a water level bad. Even in 3D, it's still pretty easy. I feel like it's not hard, Uh, but I love how that even in 3d with more technology at our hands. And it's just like, Oh, we could have just kept doing more Mario levels. You know, we could have just kept, you know, doing bing, bing, wahooing. It's like, (laughs) no, here, here's a level that allows you to kind of just slow it all down and just kind of take it all in, or even think of like cool, cool mountain, which has a very upbeat theme, but it's like, Oh, and you're you're on this like mountain peak and you just kind of, you can appreciate just like the little pixel sprite snowflakes kind of just falling down around you. Um, It's all these like very little, little things that like to us as modern, you know, people in the modern day would take for granted. But if you put yourself in the shoes of someone in 1996, still like the coolest thing ever like it these feel like places you can just go to and get lost in and feel like they are an extension of your sort of like your own sort of dreams and sort of imagination like to it's <laughs> to ape off little big planet which is a weird segue but like one of the things little big planet like i'm pretty sure it's a, a made-up word but they always say like the imaginarium or the imagosphere uh yeah. in those games where it's just like those a place where your own imagination creates the stories and creates the experience and i feel like that is a term that you can just plop onto mario 64 and it's like yep that that is it like i am here and my mind is running my mind is processing so many things and trying to just interpret what i'm seeing like (laughs) it's like you get to you get to tick tock clock and it's just like well i'm i'm in a i'm in a clock level it's just like oh i gotta like my mind kind of thinks of like all the like different moving parts and pieces to like the clock in this level or i think of like um or I think of lethal lethal lava land where it's just like, where is this like weird little place that is full of just like various platforms? Like where, where is this taking place? Like what volcano am I in?
1: What, (laughs) like where, where the fuck am I? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you heard about like the, the meme with like wet dry world where it like gives people nightmares and weird feelings and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one. I personally have never felt that. In all honesty, I don't know if you have. No, I was gonna say, I no more than any other level. I mean, each each of these levels, I wouldn't say they're creepy at all but they have just such a strange air about them and i don't think that one does any more than any other level but but it's funny how that people really latched onto that one as like there's something kind of weird about this level you know what i mean but i think they all kind of have that strange um like you're saying it's like an ethereal otherworldly but i've never seen it as a creepy thing i always see it as more of a endearing inviting thing but there's just mm-hmm. something you know uh, slightly off and strange about these levels but but it's it's in such a good way you know yeah so. it's
0: it's just in it it, it feels. i mean it's it's easy to say this but it's you know it in nintendo pulls off this sort of this feeling of your your childhood but That's not a bad thing in this case. I wouldn't say like Nintendo's greatest games where they, you know, they, they are targeting the sort of quote unquote child in all of us. Like Mario 64 is like a shining example of this because you can still play it today. And it's not like I feel like, oh, this feels like wrong to play. (laughs) Like as an adult, there's certain games where it's just like, I don't feel like I am the target demographic for this uh yeah. but like yeah. mario and i would even throw like zelda in there like they i don't know how they do it per se maybe it's just like some sort of magic pixie dust they sprinkle into cartridges and in the, in their game discs or whatever <laughs> but whether it be just the sort of nostalgic qualities we have with Nintendo or just the way they combine all the aspects of a game from music to sound effects to visuals to gameplay, whatever it might be, like they pull from a very warm and simpler time where our sort of the way of which our minds kind of dr- drift and think or daydreaming, like Nintendo's games feel like they come from that part of our minds in a way, like, and I think that's something very special Like, and it's something special that games can do. Um, I would even say that like, they are able to do this even with some of their like two dimensional games, like, I was reading this because I've been reading, uh, you know, as I am Kojima's biggest dick sucker, like I was reading (laughs) about sort of his inspirations and what inspired him. It's like he said the original Super Mario Brothers was like the game that changed his mind in his world. And. You know, thinking about 64 for this episode, it's like I can see that, like I can see how someone plays. Pretty much any Mario game and how their mind could be blown Blown away and blown apart and expanded. Which I feel like for a lot of people to be like, what the hell are you talking about? But like you, when you really let yourself kind of get engrossed in the experience, like you really feel like something is happening within inside your, your thought process. Like it's, it's so strange because very few game developers are able to kind of capture this magic and it seems like Nintendo just does it all the time like I I I really I really try to grasp but like how they're able to do that you know (laughs) like what what sort of sorcery magic did they like do in order to like accomplish this over and over again It's probably
1: a combination of things, man. I mean, for one, they've got the best talent in the world when it comes to game development. And for two, they're under no sort of financial stress. They've got coffers of billions of dollars that they can, (laughs) they can afford to get weird. They can afford to take their time. They can afford to draw inspiration from the strangest of places. And, uh, that that you get a lot of misses from them or you know depending on who you ask but yeah i they're they're sort of just they're ballsy man because they they've been around so long and they're especially nowadays they're just in a position where i mean yeah we can take 6 years to make a triple a game and you know it we're under no specific rush to do so and um because we're not worried about you know numbers as much or meeting any kind of quota or anything like that it's they operate under different rules and i think they have for a long time yeah and um i think it's ballsy man i think i think super mario 64 is a ballsy ass game i really do um and i think it paid off for them and Mm -hmm. and they were able to create something just really special and unique and just out of this world
0: yeah and you see the DNA and heritage in later Mario games, not even just specifically collect-a-thon games, but you see it kind of, you see the spark that was was lit here in 64, and you see it going across time. Like Sunshine is a unique and wonderful experience for being so centered around that island resort theme. But like, I specifically say like Galaxy, even for being a much more linear Mario game, like it elicits that same amazement and wonder that 64 creates for, you know, still to this day, like galaxy does the same thing. Like it's like, Oh yeah, we're going to have a platforming game in space. Yeah. Like, I was going to say the...
1: what elicits more wonder than the, the great beyond the space, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: And even, even something like odyssey, like, I've gone back and forth on whether like I like Odyssey or I love it, but I think I can really appreciate Odyssey because even with the advantages of modern technology, Odyssey still kind of at its core is still like full of that amazement and wonder that sixty four had. Like yeah, that is always something true to Mario, no matter what game he's on, even you know even like super mario 3d world has those moments even if it's a more of a callback to the simpler times quote unquote you know there's there's still like that magic within the dna of this this plumbers games like that you can't deny like you can be the most jaded bitter person who hates all nintendo but like denying that there is something magical to this franchise know or just specifically 64 like to deny that is i think you are i think you are letting you are preventing yourself from experiencing something beautiful in the process um
1: i agree
0: um i don't know i feel like we i I feel like uh the, the the hardest thing going into this episode is just like oh man Fifth, like 20 years of the internet at least and it's like everyone has said their two cents about mario so it's like how yeah i think we i think we covered a lot i mean do you have any closing thoughts per se on mario 64 i think we I think this feels a very complete uh complete discussion about this this the silly little plumber <laughs>
1: um i think that it just can't be overstated um how important this game is not only to the industry but to just people like me out there that had their basically their entire childhood shaped by this game and just nights of staying up with friends finding all the secrets in the castle and everything i mean hell is just, real Hell is real i mean <laughs> peaches slide um yeah. <laughs> there's some i mean there's just some so much and it it just it's one of those things that um it just can't be overstated man I, it's a it's yeah, I it's mean, more yeah. than just a game it's 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 an experience it's, it's an experience and it's just um it's a touchstone of this industry it's just it's it's amazing so it, it
0: it has earned the legacy that it has garnered there's no doubt about it like you can there is a reason why everyone talks about it It's like you cannot deny Mario 64's impact. Like, no matter how hard you try and how much you want to be the contrarian online, this game is special for a reason. And everyone should play this, whether it be emulating it on your computer, getting an N64, or getting the virtual console, like playing it on your Switch or on. You know, getting the DS remake, even though I think that's not the optimal way to play it, and it's a little different. Uh, whatever way that you can play this game, I think no matter you know if it's your first time or it's your umpteenth playthrough of it, just play it. Like just let your let yourself be open to the experience. Yeah. So with that, I want to thank you, Cameron, for joining me tonight. This was a, a wonderful trip uh into nostalgia a wonderful trip down into the n64 dimension something I've, i haven't done i think properly on the show yet
1: man it's been great i have thoroughly enjoyed it and i'm happy to be like the resident nintendo fanboy for the third <laughs> place so you 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 are
0: i would say you you're number one right now you you, st- you you came up to the plate and you swung for a home run I
1: love it. i love it
0: <laughs> so with that I believe this is a perfect time to stop the recording.